0: Welcome to the Bards FM Podcast, this is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to You Can't Eat, Your are Digital. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness. Ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher. Soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, Patriots, and it's Wednesday, November 2nd in the year 2022, and boy, we've got some things to talk about tonight and some great shows tomorrow night and Friday as well, which I'm super excited about. Before we begin, make sure you are taking good care of your family's preparations. This is a time of craziness. You should know that by now. I'm telling you, they're squeezing everything, and we're seeing a collapse of the supply chain system all across the globe. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight, So as part of that, you can expect to start seeing strange things happening and shortages starting to occur. In fact, I spoke today to a FedEx delivery guy who was bringing some things up to the property. And what he was telling me is that he's been delivering, watching what consumers or what these uh, big supply and retail places have been ordering and what they're actually getting in the deliveries and he said, let me tell you, he says, front line of it, he says, they'll order 2,000 of something and they'll only be able to get, say, 400. Or they'll get a replacement. The supply chain system is drawing down, it's breaking, and supplies are starting to dry up in small ways, but it's going to grow. That's why you need to make sure you've got food and a good stock of food on hand. And the best place to do that is My Patriot Supply. That's a foundation product you need to have. Everybody needs to have in their home. And that's why we have a great deal with them. If you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com, you go over there and once you get there, you're going to get 20% off on a three-month food supply, which takes care of three months of food for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and drinks for one person. Now, that's 20% off plus free shipping and it comes in unsealed or unmarked boxes, so that woke, crazy delivery driver, which they are around, won't know what you're getting. It's discreet, and your neighbors won't be, like, eyeballing you. Remember, I'm telling you, if your neighbor starts eating the cat, you better you better be ready. Because that means the zombie apocalypse is upon us. So you get My Patriot Supply stuff in. It you I would get one for every member of the family. That gives you a foundation of product of food for three months for each member of the family that can have a shelf life of like twenty years. These are great products, they're American made, highest quality, and it's th- something you can count on. And they ship quickly. So head on over to preparewithbards.com. Prepare with bards.com. Take advantage of this great offer. 20% off. You will not be disappointed. Free shipping comes in unmarked boxes. You get it quickly. And right now is the time to do it because things are changing and it's getting a little crazy outside, if you haven't noticed. Now, tomorrow night, I told you tonight, last night, I said tonight we were going to have Ed Dowd on. And I've moved it to tomorrow night. So tomorrow night will be Ed Dowd. He is the former, one of the former managing, senior managing people from BlackRock. And man, he brings the receipts on the challenges that we're facing with the impact of this COVID shot, this death needle injection thing we're dealing with. He was the one that uncovered the millennial death rates. It's phenomenal. So he'll be on tomorrow night. And then Friday night, I have VOR, which is Voice of Reasons. That's Luke from Voice of Reasons. Folks, he's another one. He's bringing the receipts. He has been spending 20 years of his life led by God to prove that science Is literally Satan's trick to obscure us from the truth, which the Bible is our true story. He's great. He's awesome. You're going to love it. So, we've got two great interviews back to back conversations, I guess we'll say. So, tonight we're going to dig into here a little bit in the perspective of digital and how the world is changing and it's changing radically. And it's something that we need to keep our eyes on. First, I want to kind of do some touch base on a few of the craziness that's going on. Portland. It always seems to find its way in the news. I swear it is like the most satanic city in this country, Portland, Oregon. And here's a shocker. They're facing a homeless catastrophe. Let me give you a little history on this. Back in 2014, I had my office in Portland. I had it downtown. Right now, that's like central to Antifa zone. And I had about two blocks from the train station. It was an awesome transportation hub, great, beautiful office that I had there. Really great place to be. The city planners decided it was a good idea to encourage the homeless to start moving into the area. They had a, a homeless shelter like paid for by Obama money, big, tall building. They have all sorts of soup kitchens down there. They put in free public toilets. You know, the normal good things that liberals do to encourage all those the best part of humanity. But no, no resources to help homeless get off the street. Just help them make them more comfortable when they're living on sleeping on concrete and in the cold. So I got in a discussion one day with a, a Portland city planner, and I pointed out that the homeless were sitting about three blocks from the one of the most affluential areas in Portland called the Pearl District. This is literally you could go from the train station in Portland, walk out the door. Turn a little bit to your right. Walk under the bridge. Homeless Central, all over the place. Walk a full block. End up at a brand new residence inn. That's the homeless were kind of contained by their own desire at that point in time. Walk another two blocks, and you'll literally walk into people drinking, and not exaggerating on any of this. White tablecloths, drinking their Chianti, and having their pasta outdoors on the sidewalk. And three blocks away are homeless people. Living in whatever they can come up with and pooping on the street, so I I pointed this out to the to the city planner that it was somebody with my type of experience that could be a very radical thing to do since it would be easy to radicalize the homeless and have them overrun those in the rich district. And his comment was, "Well, we never thought about that." He said, quite literally, the reason we've done this is we wanted the home. This is a true, true, true conversation. He said, quite literally, we've done this because we wanted the homeless people near the rich people so they would better understand each other. This is the type of insanity that's been running these cities. And so today, we're sitting in this place where people are saying things like, oh, we're going to have a homeless crisis. Well, no kidding. So just to read this, this comes from Zero Hedge. With the homeless crisis cited among the top concerns, Oregon voters are taking note of Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler's declaration of a humanitarian catastrophe in the state's largest city. Oregon has among the highest homeless populations in the nation per capita According to the DHM research, nine of 10 voters statewide identify homelessness as a very big problem as the election draws near. In Portland metropolitan area, nearly area alone, an estimated 6,000 people are experiencing homelessness. According to Multnomah County's 2022 point in time count and annual census of the unhoused, I guess that's the latest woke term. The magnitude and the depths of the homeless crisis in our city is nothing short of humanitarian catastrophe. Let me just give you another background on this. Portland, like many other liberal cities, has encouraged homeless to come to the city. It is literally, it's a boon. You can get free food, free medical, free phone, free medical care. And you can use all the drugs you want because now Portland has a... Oregon has legalized almost everything, including LSD and mushrooms. You can now use all those on the streets with no concern. And don't worry about the the vulgarities that are happening, whether it's some guy laying on the street masturbating or some guy trying to rape somebody. It's okay because, as Portland Motto says, Keep Portland weird—the same motto that Austin, Texas, adopted—should tell you about where that's going. This is just pure Satanism all over that place, and it is true; it is Satanism. All of this is built around a city that's the highest trafficking in, in heroin. It's got one; it has one of the highest child sex trafficking uh, areas in the country. It also has the the highest number of strip clubs per capita than any other city in the nation. Keep Portland weird, and Portlanders are so un, in, living in a coma that they literally think that this is normal. Portland downtown looks like it's a third world war zone, and the in Antifa is basically the enforcing arm of everything. The police have been neutered; they are good police. There were good police in that city; they have been effectively neutered. And these liberal city people just keep trying to do the same thing over and over. We call that insanity. It's pretty much like Pelosi's bugger, butt bugger that he had in there. Paul Pelosi who was ha- he, he got beat with a hammer. I mean, I, I and this is kind of what Portland's doing. Like, it's all just insanity. So, this is where our cities are across the across the nation, and it's a good it's a good insight in Portland as to what is happening across our country as we are moving to an era now when there's a traumatic, dramatic shift in the way things are going to be happening globally, we have built an economy on this country built primarily on service industries. And that's a lot of how Portland itself has cropped up. Even though Portland as a city is a glimpse of this, has its tech industry which breeds brings in money, one of the things that that spurns is a high level of service sector that now allows people to have a measure of freedom and, and prosperity, but it's all driven by the high accumulation of wealth that sits within a small cadre of people, most of those coming from tech or from Wall Street. And that means investment and trading. So where we are right now in this crazy, crazy time is that we are looking at a shift globally, right? The war in Ukraine has highlighted this. And... With this is this p- continued push towards trying to build out these economies. And, this, and the liberals have literally become accustomed to having this sort of unlimited money, much of it coming from back doors from various places such as, and we know, such as the NGOs. But this money has been slowly drying up and the, the plethora of money has not been there. The programs that they've been pushing, which were always to basically keep one class of people subdued and in their camp with free stuff, the classic Obama phone paradigm, which is driven towards the welfare class and homeless class, while the, they cater to the policies that allow those drinking literally their Chianti at white tablecloths to continue to prosper and feel safe and so forth, while they squeeze the middle class. And everybody turns their back on it. And both the lower class and the upper class are all eyes on Democrats in the past because they've been getting the benefits of a wealth extraction and suppression for the middle class policies. This is now starting to fall apart. It's falling apart because as we've had this COVID, what we've has happened, and you're going to hear about this tomorrow night in more detail, The center, the main body of that workforce that they have relied on to extract the wealth out of has been dying off. There have been, at this point, there is about 3.5 million people out of the workforce right now. That doesn't sound like a lot when you take it in terms of 330 million people in this nation. But what we forget is that there are only about 95 to 100 million people that are working to support that 330 million. So when you look at that number of 100 million, you're extracting out at least right now 3.5% of the workforce is either dead or disabled. It's not because they've chosen other lifestyles. It's because they have been destroyed by the injection. That's the only statistic that overlays correctly. And again, you're going to hear more about this by Ed, from Ed Dowd tomorrow night. So. We are set in this place where, in fact, it, and the disability from the, in the injection is much higher than that. The numbers that a doubt should, we'll talk to you about tomorrow night is that for every one that's vaxxed, it's a factor of 10 to 20x. So the one, one, for one that dies of the vax, it's 10 to 20x, meaning 10 to 20 more of those that are disabled. So those numbers are outrageous in the workforce. And in a workforce of 100 million, roughly, we're seeing a decimation in that middle class, the most productive class, which are the millennials, and they're being gutted. So a lot of what these cities have relied on to be their obedient slave class, the millennials are part of that because the millennial class right in there are the ones that have bought into the, the global warming. They bought into the living in a 300 square foot low carbon footprint box. They're the ones that bought into the idea of own nothing and be happy. They're the ones that bought into the digital currencies. All of that class is being literally wiped out by the injection or at least damaged by it. And slowly, this economic framework that they built of of slave obedience is starting to cause have great cracks in it. They cannot sustain these policies because they're losing their obedience to it. And with this, as that starts to shake, So does their loyalty to it by the, especially from the homeless level. And then as that starts to destabilize, so the elites don't get their happy Chianti on white tablecloth hour and they become destabilized. So we're starting to see a massive shift economically on the, on the globe. All of this globe was built on a service industry sector. It's very important to understand that the globalism was built around service industries. It's one of the biggest lies ever placed upon humanity. 77% seventy percent of the work in the united States is service industry driven which means it's non-productive of manufacturing anything it means it's servicing something so whether that is that you're servicing as a service industry would be like you're cleaning windows painting houses you're 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 repairing a a, a motorcycle you're doing warranty work i mean i can go on the list of things you're the service industry is non-productive in terms of substantial tangible asset or product we used to be a manufacturing society but now that is and a manufacturing and production society so that would be things like agriculture mining man agriculture mining manufacturing those sorts of hard product delivery that only accounts for about 19% of our total workforce right now so when you Start to look at this, and you start to realize that we can't eat digital things. You can't eat your phone. You can't eat your your digits online. You can't eat your e- your emails. And as this retraction is happening around the world with this conflict in Ukraine, it's destabilizing the entire center point of globalization. As the dollar starts to implode, we can't buy as much. There's a trade imbalance that occurs. People around the world are rejecting the dollar. The petrodollar is dying. Our ability to import products is falling. The economy is unraveling. In fact, Merck, who is one of the largest uh, shipping companies, and they're, they're based in Denmark, They've already warned that there's dark clouds on the horizon. They're predicting a pretty substantial drop, as much as 6% in their share cost and a drop in decline in demand of 2 to 4% globally. That's massive. And they're the ones moving sh- they're the ones moving these big ships across the oceans. All of this is leading to a, a rather massive shift in the way economies are going to work and in what we expect at the center point of all this is currency. Remember the thing you, you control the food, you control the people, control the energy, control a nation, control the money, the currency, and you control the world. So the big part of this has been the introduction of the CBDC. And this has been the central bankers big, big win for them. Their secret weapon of enslaving all of humanity. And in their master plan between the injection and and literally annihilating a large portion of humanity, those that still remain are now carrying the digital chipping inside of them to transition them over time to a transhuman status, allowing them to be plugged in and overtaken by AI. That gets into what we talked about the other night called soul cocooning wearing down the inner soul of the body so low that the AI then can interconnect with the body and literally take over much of the brain functioning. And that that may be tied to demonic possession, which is likely. So you're dealing with an unbelievable attempt to absolutely enslave humanity, and then that's tied to these digital currencies, which are everything interconnects then. And it connects in with a central ai where you have got control of the money control of the people and their emotions and their thinking and that's tied to social credit scores so that you can now manage your population from a, from an outside force and there is no more free will that's gone that's harari if you're curious that's his world economic forum a piece of like you know he's the he's the latest greatest version of the Nazis with our evil villain, Klaus Schwab, right out of something out of James Bond. These two and their mastermind. The thing is that they're so perfect as a villain, you have to start asking questions about what they're really doing because they're almost too perfect in a movie sense. And what has happened with the left is it's gone so far off the rails with all these different crises it's literally like a portion of this world has gone to hell. But here's the catch on all of this, is that what the recoil of this isn't going to be nirvana. It's not going to be the great, great opportunity that everybody wants. Because the ultimate trap is still to get people tied to non-tangible products like digital currencies. The big rage is still, the comp- competition in discussion is, If the CBDC is failing, which it is, and we'll talk about that in a second, there's a big hoopla going on in the idea that everybody's moving to Bitcoin. But I go back to the principle of service industry. Our economies have been built for the last 30 years on a service industry basis. People are accustomed to global interconnectivity. They're accustomed to doing trade and commerce on a digital fashion. They've become accustomed to the most important thing in their life being their, their iPhone or their Google, whatever, Android phone. When you can't eat, these things like that don't stop becoming important. That homeless class is not a class to ignore. There's massive amounts of homeless. And let me tell you, if you ask them, would you rather have a phone or would you rather eat? My guess is you're going to probably get two answers you don't really want to hear. They're probably going to say something like, I like food, but if you can got drugs, I'll take that too. They are still looking for tangibles. And this is going to be shifting this entire global economy. Don't forget what I mentioned about the millennials. Because as they are being slaughtered, and they are, they were the engine to drive this new ideology that we can be a globally integrated world using digital currencies. Now, my personal opinion is that the CBDC, the central bank digital currency, was developed intentionally to drive people into Bitcoin. And that sounds illogical, except it's not when you think about it. The CBDC, and a lot of people see the CBDC as the big failure of central banks. I don't think it actually is. Because what they don't, what they want is they want to remove people's ability to do commerce with actual concrete, tangible currency. They don't want you holding currency. They don't want you holding gold, silver. They don't want you doing anything with paper. And the CBDCs, though, they're designed to control you. There's so many other measures of control in the system, and people will say, well, I can do currency. I can do my trades, to Bitcoin. Nobody controls you. In the end, yes, you are controlled because all they have to do is track your purchases at one end and the other, and they will track it. So with all the other issues in play, Bitcoin is really just as much a trap as the others, because it is a digital currency with no, nothing tangible in your hands. So we look at what's been going on over in Nigeria. Nigeria is where they actually launched the first CBDC. And the CBDC there has been looked at by everybody in the world, and it has failed miserably. Only 1 in 200 Nigerians are actually using that CBDC. That CBDC there is referred to as e and it has failed. What has gone on a surge is Bitcoin. But again, we're back at the same place. There is no tangible coinage. There's no tangible money in place. And all of this works as long as you have an integrated global economy. But economies are starting to pull apart, and this is the part that people aren't really seeing yet. It goes back to stuff versus finance. We have been economies not only service-focused, service, industry, service focused, but financial-focused, meaning the interconnectivity of trade has been a big issue because we are literally buying garbage from China to, be, to replace the jobs here. And we've willfully gone along with that because as a greedy and self-consumed culture, wanting cheap crap to fill the empty need of not having a, a purpose in life, We end up in a place where people love to spend their time at Walmart filling their baskets full of all the things that make them feel fulfilled and satisfied and purposeful in the moment until they get home and then they realize that that doesn't last, so they go recycle again. Wash, rinse, repeat. A country and a nation separated from its center point of God and faith is a country that ends up being the most ideal consumer economy, and we do a great job on the top of that list. And that drives consumption, that drives the need for finance, that drives the need for all of these easier methods to spend money. So the in, the insanity that's spinning around these digital currencies is the idea that everyone is trying to figure out a way to have a sell, have a sovereign currency in a digital form so they can continue to buy things easily and not have to worry about a central bank tracking them. Well, if I was if I was the big boys and I'm looking here realizing that people have a migration going away from central banking, I'd say cool because where I'd be putting my money would be in the industries that would provide the products and services that these people wanted so that I could make sure that they're spending their happy little bitcoin and not and not saving it. So I would make an evil maniacal CBDC. Because I don't want people using cash or or other physical currencies, because I can't track those. And I can't, I can't keep those in an ecosphere. And as much as people try to tell me that Bitcoin is perfectly safe, I'm going to tell you that when you work in the world of these, of the cyber world, nothing is 100% secure. I don't care how many people cut that one, you're going to tell, I'm going to tell you nothing is secure. So all they need to do is channel the herd towards a place where the herd feels safe and secure. And they're still running towards Bitcoin because in people's mind, it's the only alternative and it's the only place that isn't officially a CBDC, but the whole things that people are still buying and they're still consuming. And that goes on a global financial model where there's an integrated, massively integrated economy. The thing is that that's not what's actually happening on another level. What's happening right now in another level is what's called reshoring. And what's happening in reshoring is that as the globalization model starts to collapse, industry is starting to look at how it can start bringing back its manufacturing to the shores. That's going to start severing increasingly the need for global finance on a personal and consumer level. Consumers are buying less anyway. We're seeing inflation soar. The dollar is falling. There's, you have to still sell the confidence. One of the big failures in the CBDC is there's no confidence in it. And I guarantee you, when you start to tell people that they can't have a physical dollar anymore, there's not going to be any confidence in the CBDC. And even the, even the acceptance of a digital currency like Bitcoin, the integrators for that, which were the first adopters, the ones that were going to be the engines to drive that into society, were the millennials. And, oh, yeah, remember that piece about them? They're the ones that are dying off the most and the fastest because of this injection. So the entire system is going through an unbelievable torque and twist and reset. And the things that we've become accustomed to in the digital realm are starting to unravel. And it's happening faster than we realize. With this all, we have a continued pushed by the central banks on this digital currency, like I say, and at this point, they know very well it's not going to be accepted. The knowledge about what the CBDC actually is, is clear. It's a programmable currency designed to purposely enslave people and have total control of their money. The interesting thing is they have not pushed back on any of that, and they've allowed that narrative to continue to work within the public sphere. Why? Because in my opinion, they want you to hate it because they want to drive you towards these other areas and these other currencies. Let's just take a look for example at Bitcoin value. This is really fascinating because I hear a lot of people raging about Bitcoin. Bitcoin started way low, way sub like in a, like $500, 250 something like that about over 10 years ago, about 5 years ago. Okay. Bitcoin peaked in November of 2021. At $65,000, 61, $65,061. So just basically round it, up, round it down, $65,000 for one Bitcoin. And that was its peak, and there was a lot of wealth made there. Today, Bitcoin is back down to $19,173. That is a fall of $40,000 over the last year. And other digital currencies have literally been slaughtered. There have been people who have lost their entire wealth in these other digital currencies. The eyes on Bitcoin are continually there saying it is still the most secure of the digital currencies. But Bitcoin is not a currency. It's called that. But in fact, it's a trading medium. The only reason that price is up there so high is not because Bitcoin is being used as commerce. It's because it's being used as an investment vehicle to extract wealth. It has not even gone the test of time to see if it can actually be an actual currency. And while it is accepted by people and there's increasing acceptance of the digital currency, it is not by design functioning as a currency. So the whole idea is to herd people. When you're a financier, you're going to look at the trends of people. And they want to herd everybody into a form of digital currency. The CBDC is a flop. They know it. They're pushing it hard. They're going to push it harder. They know where people are going to go because the naive people that are believing in the digital world are going to race towards the what they see to be the most viable digital source. That's going to be Bitcoin. That's the trap. And whether you like it or not, you've been herded. You know, All they need to know is where your purchases are. From there, they'll figure it out, and they already have. I guarantee you they have every tracking ability they need because at one point or another, especially when they drop an idea of a UBI, universal basic income, once they do that and they tie that in, you're going to have to access your UBI. What I understand is the way they're working this is to get access to your UBI, you're going to have to integrate your Bitcoin accounts to get it. And that's the whole idea is to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And a lot of people will fall for it. Hopefully not, many, not enough to make it work. Hopefully people will be smarter than that. But again, we're back to who's your early adopters. Any system that's going to work in a change of this magnitude has to have first adopters or early adopters. People that believe passionately in the way it works and are willing to use it no matter what. These are the same type of people that when you bring out a new TV screen, for example, and that TV screen comes out, and I'm using this as an example as a real case, massive screen that they built, and it was like forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 People are literally buying those screens because they want to be the first ones to have it in their house. Those same screens later in five years down their road fall to two, $3,000. But the early adopters are what drive the ability in the market for them to be able to sell it, Show it, have people use it, it becomes a a thing, it influences the market, they use that leverage, they use that sale point to get the cost, to pay off their investments, and then to drive the cost down. In a similar way, we're seeing the same thing happening here in the digital space, because you need early adopters to get people to mainstream it and talk about it and make it seem familiar. Digital currencies, in my expectation, will for the most part flop massively. And people that have their money in digital currencies in the end will lose most of what they have in their wealth, even in Bitcoin. That's my expectation. It may not happen right away, but I think it's coming. And the reason is it's fundamental. We're shifting to a world where right now people have to worry about food and fuel. Those two things right now are going to define this dark winter and they're going to define the coming two or three years. The idea of getting a cell phone is going to be less important. The idea of doing everything on a digital space is not going to become possible because you're going to have to take part in growing your own food. Supply chains are literally breaking, not just because supply chains are breaking because of restrictions, but they're breaking because the labor force is not there. We're falling back to a more regional model. We're seeing that on a global level. That's why we're talking about reshoring. Because companies are now realizing that they can't sustain operations overseas at the current rate with the current economics. And so companies are having big discussions about how to bring back industry to American shores. But as they bring back industry, they face another crisis. They have not only a reduced labor force, they also have a disabled labor force thanks to the injection. And they have an untrained labor force. These are big issues. And they're not just happening here. They're happening all over the world. All of this means that the technology advancements to somehow make life easier, more integrated, and to maintain the high level of service industry are not going to be able to be sustained. This is going to require that more people get involved in physical industry, physical production of things. They're going to have to get involved in making things. They're going to have to get involved in growing things. And it's not that digital's going away like that we're not going to suddenly see no emails and no news, but the time that can be allowed to get on these things and spend these things, especially people that spend their time just casually cruising the day on their phone and doing their little trades, their e-trades on the phone or whatever they're doing, to live a simple life off of a phone, that type of lifestyle is soon to be going the way of any other extinct species. Practicality and functionality are going to be defining our future. And I, I truly believe in this. So prediction, yes, the prediction is there that this, this idea of a soft, easy, digital world where UBI gets to define how we live, that in the UBI model, the tr- classic universal basic income model, that you can have a basic income, you don't have to work, and all you have to do is pursue whatever makes you happy, that model is nearly extinct already because it's not sustainable. If you try to do it, you're not going to be able to eat, even if you have the money, because at the other hand of it, the way we're going is there's going to be a revival of work ethic in this nation, which is quite literally going to be driven by the same people that were ostracized, those non-vaxxers that are now going to be having to step into place to lead communities. And the non-Baxxers are not sitting back on their phones going, yeah, whatever, dude. It's going to be get busy because you're going to have to have work to get what you need. In certain areas, as we see certain breakdowns, it's not going to be like you have military cutting off communications or things like that. As much as you may see infrastructure literally breaking down because there's not the people to sustain it. Regionalism and local-local are going to define our future. And that's going to require people working together, people solving solutions together, and people not playing around on the digital sphere. That also means there's a different value that goes into how how you exchange goods and services. There's a greater willingness to exchange and barter rather than to have to use a physical currency. There's going to be local currencies that crop up, and you're going to hear a lot of chatter locally, there already is, about, well, let's create a local currency. But people are going to want to get back to something that has tangible value. The idea of relying on something after we already know what's happened in a digital sphere, we start to see breakdowns in the digital interconnectivity, which in its own way will happen because there's less reliance on foreign goods. You're going to be seeking something that's more tangible. As people grow food and have physical food, they're going to be less light willing, as you physically do the work, to trade that for a digital number that goes into your account and magically sits there. All of these things are shaping a future, and it will redefine the way we do business. We're in a big change right now, massive, and it's, it's going to shake the world in a big way. The World Economic Forum, their model, for the most part, is dead. It has failed. We're into a very slow and painful destruction of globalism, it's slow by the sense of our time and pacing, but fast in the sense of how many years they set, to, they set it up. What will follow, in my opinion, will be a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of attempts and experimentation. There's going to be attempts to revive it. There's going to be attempts towards regionalism, like a North American continent trade system. But all of this, in the end of the day, is going to rely on, it's going to fall back to the local markets. And as we start to put more emphasis onto what we're buying locally, buying local, being local, there's going to be less and less interest in these global economies. These are long lasting events because I will tell you, we haven't yet hit the realization of what destruction, this this injection has done, let alone other things. And the die-offs are happening. That's not something that has ceased. It's only increasing. And as we face that reality as a culture, it will redefine everything. There will be less trust in government, less trust in bankers less trust in any sort of corporate institutions that are global. All of these things lead ultimately to a collapse of the sort of things that everybody was counting on for a future. Remember, Bitcoin is just another version of a get-rich-quick scheme because the whole idea of Bitcoin, if you talk to anybody that's a digital coin miner, their idea is if they invest in the equipment, the equipment when their algorithms run and mine and make wealth for them, they call that work. I call work when you get your hands dirty, get sweaty, and your bones and muscles ache at the end of the day. But they equate that type of work with energy. So that if if a machine is exploring energy and and you are not using energy, then they consider the machine doing the work for you and they can get rich off it. That's a get-rich-quick scheme. Those sorts of ideas, those sorts of value structures, that sort of ideology framework and people are living under – it's getting destroyed right before our very eyes. And it will only accelerate because as it does, and as we reset this nation more and more towards a practical foundation of having to survive, to having to transition and to have to take more accountability for what we're doing. In a world right now where milk is going up and eggs are going up and beef is prices are going up and fuels going up, household inflation is looking at 30, 40, 50% in some regions. And we're facing a winter right now where there's many households that are not gonna be able to afford fuel oil or even have it, or or electricity. We're seeing a crisis coming to this nation that we haven't seen before, and it's right on us, right now, and no one's talking about it, no politicians talking about it, no media's talking about it, and the only way that's gonna solve itself is if we, the people, get together and solve it ourselves. That's when everything really changes, is when we get our hands dirty, to sow the seeds, to solve the problem. And when that happens, all that magical stuff of get rich quick, the digital money, all those spheres, it means nothing. You're not going to care about your trades on Wall Street when you ha- when you can't put food in your mouth. As I called the show tonight, you can't eat your digital. This is the reality we have to start facing. And it's a reality that will shape and define our future and the future of hopefully of the generations yet to come so patriots let's pray father we choose to come to you humbly as we sit here before you and we're as we reflect on the state of our world and how much it has changed and is changing and we just we're blessed in this time to literally see the sword that was put to the earth starting to shake the things as they are to tear down those institutions of illusion, of get rich quick and easy money, fast track towards having everything being done for us by artificial intelligence and digital. And we continue to pray to see those temples be torn to the ground. And Father, we pray that as we go forward, we will continue to see these temples crushed and to see the freedom of your people and your children returned to the, through the hard work and effort that we do, living truly in the love of Jesus and the love of you. Guide us and protect us in these times, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right, patriots. There's a lot of things coming, a lot of changes coming, a lot of things we have to keep focused on. Make sure you're growing food. Make sure you're getting your household in order, home churches homeschooling, Patriot Gardens, right work, health and wellness, become engaged in your community with informed action and really master the ideas of stewardship and conservation. Each in our homes get that way. We become much stronger as community. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now.
1: We shall pay any price